You join us on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. And just before you joined us, unsurprisingly, we were talking about the momentous things happening in the world as we sit here. Mm. But also, we were talking about men dancing. I don't know what brought this to mind today, but the old bonce, the brain package, drifted back to a 15-year-old me. Just taking a second to picture your brain package here. Brain package. Uh, and uh, my brain package was ensconced with long hair that went halfway down my back at that age. Okay. So 15-year-old me, bit of a hippie, but with platform shoes, a cheesecloth shirt, an Afghan coat, uh, a mustard a mustard waistcoat. We've moved on from Little You, which we've, we've talked about in previous podcasts, yeah. in your knickerbockers. Indeed. Waiting for the baker to turn up with his sweaty donuts. Indeed. To now you, a few years later. Yes, my, my hippie locks. <laughs> and I was a very, very enthusiastic dancer. Right. Um, I've always, oh, you, you well know, uh, others will not. I, I have a very eclectic taste in music. It spans the whole of the horizon. The entire gamut. Just about everything. I'm not, not a big fan of punk, never was. But... Out of punk came many great things. Paul Weller, Elvis mm-hmm. Costello, mm-hmm. you know. One thing I definitely remember about you as well is, going back to the dancing, is um, that you used to spend entire radio shows en point. En point, en point. I, I loved to do a show en point. <laughs> uh, well, the occasional jeté. <laughs> if things got tremendously exciting. And often they did. I mean, if this was video, people would be absolutely... Laughing their socks off right now. The idea that I could even jet egg, yes, without the use of a jet. (laughs) (laughs) But I was a very enthusiastic dancer. Um, Between the ages of about 50, 50, maybe earlier, 14, 13, but certainly those early teenage years, right the way up until I was about 19. Mm. And I say right the way up until I was about 19 because I don't remember, because I went off and did different things after that. Mm. And I don't remember spending an awful lot of time in clubs. No. Uh, whereas previous to that, I did. But I, but as soon as you... I used to love doing some rock and roll dancing. A little bit of... Because I had the locks for it, a little bit of that hippie shaking your head around stuff as well. What? Do you like the, the metal? bit of uh, headbanging? Well, well, this this is, comes back to the eclectic taste in music. Um, I re- full remember, because you used to have, have to save up enough money to buy an album in those days, and I'd saved up enough money to buy... Um, Black Sabbath, Paranoid. Okay. And then the following, uh, the next record that I bought after that, about two weeks later, after I'd saved up enough money, was Frank Sinatra's A Portrait of Sinatra. Wow. Yeah, even at that age. An eclectic taste in music. Absolutely. And why not, eh? Why? I've always said this to my boys. Why just limit yourself to one particular genre of music when there's so much beautiful, good stuff to be discovered by just being a little bit more liberal in your tastes? Yeah. I want to go back to the beginning when you were talking about dancing. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. what, what, brought, what brought that to your mind? I were don't you, know. I've, I've got a picture in my head of you listening to the radio in the kitchen this afternoon and a song coming on and you suddenly thinking... I can still do that. I can't. I can't still do that. 
no, I can't. I can't still do that. I've been writing all day, and, and I think. I, I mean, every now and then, I will stick on something which will conjure up a mood. And because the thing that I'm writing at the moment is a is a screenplay which is set in the past, I'm conjuring up the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. As you can tell, it takes it takes place over a span of years. So that's the kind of thing I've been listening to recently. But I I don't remember listening to any music today. But suddenly it popped mm. into my head. At some point, I was an enthusiastic dancer, but I stopped. And why did I stop? I don't know. See, I don't. I wasn't a very enthusiastic dancer when I was younger. I was a kind of indie kid, so that involved basically shuffling around on the dance floor with your head bowed and your hands yep. behind your back. Yep. But in latter years, I've become much more enthusiastic. And in fact, earlier on the, this very evening, I was in the kitchen with my beautiful wife, Sue, who was cooking dinner, and on the radio came that absolute, absolute banger from Tina Turner, Proud Mary. Okay. So, you know, it starts off yeah. slow, in the city, and then the deep voice band, and then it builds up, and then all of a sudden it kicks in, right? Yeah. And then there's the chorus, and they've got that amazing dance that Tina Turner and her backing singers did, and they sort of go forward and then come up again. So we, we both did that, and now I'm walking with a stick. <laughs> both you and Mrs. Orr? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you were you know. both doing that in the kitchen? Yeah. And you didn't worry that the kids might kind of look in on you? Daddy, what are you doing with Mummy? The kids are embarrassed just, you know, if they see us in the street. Oh, my God, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what we do. No, but uh, but you're still like the dance. Ah, oh, see, I haven't got that anymore. A slow dance at a wedding I can manage. A oh, shuffle yeah. around, a romantic shuffle around. The, Bit of Barry the, White. Well, yes, yeah, if if <laughs> if if absolutely necessary, though I wouldn't necessarily put that on. Um, a little shuffle around the the outer reaches of the dance floor, and then quickly back to the table. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put together a playlist of absolute belters. I'm going to bring it round to your house, and when it's just me and you, we're going to have a slow dance. No, these are going to be belters. It's just me, me and you. We're going to dance like nobody's watching. It's going to be amazing. I can't. We're going to have a dance. Around the house. <laughs> <laughs> Love, I cannot wait. Since we began our little podcast, we've had people suggesting that not all the drinks that I've offered you are for real. I know. I mean, how very dare they? Ever crossed your mind? No, I've, uh, why would you make up any of those drinks? I mean, why would we what? make up anything on this podcast? How would you make up any of those drinks? <laughs> Well, I'm assure the doubters out there that every single drink that I've offered you has been a beverage that um, someone somewhere has produced and people have drunk. Boo the doubters! Boo the doubters! However, what I'm about to offer you started as an April Fool's joke. Oh. But because it received a huge response, the Wincoop Brewing Company... Mm -hmm. decided to create what is now a local favourite in Colorado. They were the people who started the joke, but because there were an awful people... Well, for a start, there were a lot of people who got the joke and laughed, and then there were a lot of people who, who didn't get the joke who wrote in and said, where can I get this beer? <laughs> the beer in question is a glass of bull testicle beer. Bull testicle. Indeed. As I say, it started as a spoof, but the company got so many requests that they put on their brewing hats and decided to make the fantasy a reality. 
So it retails under the name Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it began life as a draft beer, but it's now available in a hand-canned version. A what? Hand-canned version. I wondered that, too. Hand-canned? I don't know how you hand-can a beer. Does that mean you open it with your hand, or it's been put in the can by hand? It's been hand? poured into the can by hand, and then the ring pour put on. I have no idea. Okay. But it's hand-canned. The head brewer is a fellow called Andy Brown, who developed the beer's recipe, um, which is a meaty foreign-style stout, mm. uh, Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout, made with Colorado base malts, roasted barley, seven speciality malts, Styrian Golding's hops, and 25 pounds of freshly sliced and roasted bull's testicles. Right. Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout is assertive, uh, see, this is this is where I love it. When with drinks, when they come in, the adjectives come in. It's assertive. The the stout is assertive. It's a viscous stout with a rich brown black colour, a luscious mouthfeel, and deep flavours of chocolate, espresso, and nuts. The beer sports a. <laughs> see, it's got deep nuts, is it? Yes. <laughs> the beer sports a savoury umami-like note. And I a bet. roasty, dry finish. Now, you laughed at the nuts. They, they, I, reading through their stuff, they like her joke. Okay. So, putting the nuts in there mm. is something which crops up... Well, I'll read the next bit for you. It crops up again. Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout is 7.5 ABV and 3 BPBs. 3 BPBs. That's balls per barrel. Yeah, you see, uh, the That's beer not a came... lot of balls in a barrel, is it? <laughs> but... I mean, well, I mean, they are quite big. The old bulls, bulls. Mm. Okay. The beer came to life after the enthusiastic response to the April Fool, uh, in which they claimed to have made the beer. Uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy Brand, the the uh, the man who developed the recipe, said he I got the video joke, wrote it up, and um, after sampling a traditional oyster stout, I thought this is it. Folks mm. who got the video joke thought it was a hilarious idea. Many of those who missed the joke were eager to try the beer, so we figured the only way that we could top the humour of the video and make those stout drinkers happy was to actually create the beer. Can I tempt you, Ben, with a glass of Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout, otherwise known as Bull Testicle Beer? Okay. Mm. I th I th he's wavering this time. I, I think I've tempted him, everyone. At long last. I've dangled something in front of him. On one hand, it sounds... <laughs> you have dangled the bulls. Thank you. Uh, uh, on one hand, it sounds kind of intriguing. But on the other hand, it sounds awful. <laughs> oh. I'm not going to rise to that. I'm sorry. Come on. We might have to shut this podcast down after that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was an April Fool's joke to start with. Yeah. But then they made it. Do you know what? I'm going to go for it. Yeah. yeah. Give me a glass of the oyster stout, please. Got something you want to tell us? Email thefarendofthebar at gmail.com or find us on Insta, Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB. What have you got over there? Great names in sport. Okay. Bristol Rovers have a goalkeeper called... Jed Ward. I'm not even joking. That's his actual name. 
Does he have a brother? From the Tennessee Titans in American football, Randy Bullock. Lining up for the Philadelphia Kings, Chubby Cox. The late father of Gary, Phil and Tracy Neville, Neville Neville. Neville Neville. In the same vein, Wolfgang Wolf and Samoa Samoa. That's for people who say things twice, twice. <laughs> Here's the name, guess the sport, Longar Longar. Lacrosse. No, it's good, it's not right. Basketball. Ah. And this is not so much about the name, although it does have a certain ring to it. Let me introduce you to one Rube Waddell. Oh, yeah. An MLB pitcher born in 1876 in Pennsylvania. He had a busy baseball career. He appeared for five separate teams in 13 years. Decent lefty. Led the major leagues for strikeouts for six consecutive years. So that's roughly the equivalent of being the leading wicket taker in cricket, for example. Right. Okay. So if he was so good, why were teams so keen to trade him? I hear you ask. Uh, Ben, why were teams so keen to trade him? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Richard. He might be the very definition of eccentric. Age three. He wandered over the road from his house to the local fire station and slept there for a few nights. During his career, he once left in the middle of a game to go fishing. He was constantly distracted by fire trucks, often leaving the field during a game to run after them. Opposition fans discovered that if they held up puppies, he would stop playing and run over to play with them. So... For several off-seasons, he completely disappeared. Nobody knew where he went until it was discovered that he had joined a circus where his act was wrestling alligators. (laughs) Amazing, right? He got bored of baseball, or perhaps baseball got bored of him, one or the other, so he decided to have a go at American football. In his first practice, he tackled the guy who was supposed to be the new star quarterback for the team, and broke the guy's leg. So he never got to play American football professionally. Jeez. They were like, nah, you're too much of an utter off you yeah. go. Yeah. Perhaps his busiest year was 1903. Apparently, he began the season staying at a fire station in New Jersey and ended it working in a bar in West Virginia. In between times, he won 22 games for the Philly Athletics, toured the US in a play called The Stain of Guilt, Married and then separated from a woman called May Wynne Skinner, saved another woman from drowning, shot a friend through the hand by accident, and was bitten by a lion. Hang on. What a guy. He, what a guy indeed. Can I just rewind just for a second there? Are you saying that he was a professional sportsman at the same time as pl- touring in a play? Yeah. So he, wow. he, he started the season playing baseball and then. For a little while, he went off and toured the country in the play called The Stain of Guilt. It was a vaudeville play, apparently. And came back to play a little yeah. bit more baseball. And during the play, um, his uh, fellow performers realised he couldn't remember lines, so they just let him improvise oh, every night. of course. <laughs> that must have worked out tremendously well. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Rube Waddell. Oh, what a one man. one and only. What a man. Uh, a man who wrestled alligators there's a wonderful 
story that George Burns used to tell about his days in vaudeville. Um, two brothers. Uh, they were on the same bill as George Burns, uh, who was in many and various different acts before he hooked up with his wife, Gracie. Um, and they did their act for over 40 years together. But he, he toured in vaudeville for many, many years, worked with many strange and wonderful acts, including these two brothers who had an act where they would wrestle an alligator in a huge tank of water. Mm. And... Um, the first night, everything went tremendously well. The first night. And uh, so Monday night, because they would travel on a Sunday, and then they would work Monday through to Saturday, then travel again on Sunday to the next okay. theatre, wherever. Monday night, they worked tremendously well. Tuesday night, it went great. Wednesday night, the, the, the audience went wild for this act. Mm. Thursday, it dropped off a bit. Oh, really? And then Friday, very lukewarm reception. What, old hat by now was it? Well, at the end of Friday, the theatre manager said to to the to the guys, um, "Look, you you had a wonderful week up until Thursday, and then it just you didn't seem to have that same sparkle with the audience. They weren't with you in quite the same way. And Friday night, they just really they didn't they couldn't have cared less. Mm. What happened? Uh, and then uh, one of the brothers said, "Well, unfortunately, Judy died on on." Um, on Wednesday night, yeah. and he said, "Oh, um, was was that your mother? Was it?" He said, "He said no. Judy was the alligator." <laughs> so Thursday and Friday they were wrestling a dead alligator, <laughs> alligator corpse. Brilliant. I mean, me and you could have done that. They probably would have kept going for another three or four. How long does an alligator take to decompose in what I don't know? They have to keep the. That was their act. They had to keep the act going. I thought you were going to say it was going really well until on the Wednesday, just after the show, the alligator deflated. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the case. Now there was another. There was another fella in Vaudeville that I, I just wanted to tell you about, um, who called himself Edwin, um, and he billed himself as the perfect fool. So you had this perfect sportsman. Well, he was more than a sportsman. He was a perfect all-round human being, yeah. wasn't he? Really eccentric, but crazy. But Edwin um, was the perfect fool. He wore ridiculous costumes, big, round, black-rimmed glasses, some sort of silly hat, several sizes too small on his head. That's the mm. clown thing, isn't it? You wear the hat that's too small, that's not, right, too, yeah. not too big. And shoes with three-inch thick soles. And he would come on stage carrying... This huge collection of gizmos, props, gadgets, which he would then demonstrate whilst telling bad jokes and worse puns. So he'd made up all these things, these gadgets and, and, and gizmos, and he would then describe what his inventions were. So he had an 11-foot pole that used to touch people that you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> And then he had, a, he had a bicycle with a piano where the handlebars were supposed to be, uh, so as he could have music. He was long before the Walkman or any of those mm, ideas. That that's a good mobile idea. Music, have a mobile piano where the handlebar should be on his bicycle. But this was my favourite. I love this. He had glasses with windshield wipers, which would be worn whilst eating grapefruit...
Right, settle down. Time for your pub quiz. Ooh. Ready for this? Always up for a pub quiz. Okay. okay. Um, do you want some fact or fiction this week? Should we do facts or fiction? Yes, we will. I made up my mind there, didn't I? I asked yeah. a question, I then <laughs> answered the question. What if I'd said no? <laughs> well, I've got other things that I could have uh, put before you, but no. Let's do it. Uh, question number one. Nelson's last words were not, as is popularly believed, kiss me, Hardy, mm-hmm. but drink, drink, fan, fan, rub, rub. Mm. Drink, drink, fan, fan, rub, rub. You want to think about that? Uh, yeah. Cogitation definitely required. Well, whilst you cogitate, I'll ask you your next one. The first animal to be sent into space was a monkey. Fact or fiction? A monkey? Was it? Hmm. Well, I always thought it was a dog. Is that your answer? You're you're answering now. Have a think. I'm going to have to go into the recesses of my brain, wade through the cobwebs and the creaky... Go through the door marked NASA (laughs) and then close that door because remembering that the Russians were the first in space. Hmm. Um, Third and final question, fact or fiction. This is a simple one. You'll know this. Oh. Most tigers live in India. I mean, I feel the pressure now. Fact or fiction. Because you said you should know this. I said it's a simple one. Tigers live in India. I mean, the way you've said it is, for me to say, yes, that's definitely fact. Most tigers live in India. And then you to say, well, no, actually, I think you'll find they live in Sri Lanka or somewhere. So I'm not going to fall for it straight away. I'm going to ruminate on that one as well. A bit more consultation and we'll come back to them at the end and then you can make me look a fool. Okay. Every other week. I enjoy (laughs) nothing more. Okay, we have kind of accidentally launched this feature, which uh, has now become semi-regular. Yes. Hero of the Week. Oh, yes, the hero. Oh, hero. I always look forward to that. I can tell by the fact you've totally forgotten all about it. (laughs) (laughs) My Hero of the Week this week is one Julia the Hurricane Hawkins. Ooh. An amazing lady from Louisiana over there in the US of A, who was left a little upset recently after running 100 metres in just over a minute. She shouldn't have been that upset, though. It was still a record for her age group in the 105 and over category. Oh, very good. Amazing, right? Exact time was one minute and two seconds, and Hurricane Hawkins was not happy, even when someone pointed out to her that it was a new record and asked if that made her feel better. Her answer was a blunt... No. She's had a long veteran athletics career, having started competing when she was just 80, including several gold medals in cycling time trials. She gave up cycling time trials uh, because there wasn't anyone left to beat in her age group because they'd all died. By the age of 100, she started sprinting instead. In 2017, she set a new record for a woman over 100 with a time of 39 seconds 62. Amazing lady. And this led me to discover other amazing records for older people. These are quite staggering. Hiru Tanaka, 
currently holds the men's 90 and over 100 meter record with a time of 16 seconds 69. He's over 90. He's running 100 meters in 16.69 seconds. That is about four times as fast as you and I could manage, I think. Aussie Judy Brims set 12.24 for the women's over 55 100 meters. 12.24. And Kathy Bergen, again, another lady from the United States, with the women's over 80 100 meters record of uh, 16.26 seconds. She also holds a record, by the way, in the high jump, the 60 meters, and the 200 meters. So she's definitely one to watch for the future. <laughs> well, in, indeed, indeed. Um, coming to an Olympics near you. Yeah. Are these all people who took these up at a, a fair old age, or well, were they athletes all their lives? I know that Julia the Hurricane Hawkins only started when she got to 80, and before that she was a teacher. I right. think she was fit, but she wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. she wasn't competing in anything. Um, I don't know about the others. They may well have been athletes their whole lives. You see, by the time I get to 100, I'm, I'm just hoping that I will still be a light zephyr. <laughs> a warm wind coming in from the Sahara or whatever. I can't imagine myself... Well, I, well, I don't run for a bus these days, but... I can't imagine myself suddenly taking something as strenuous as that up. But there again, a lot of people in older life um, completely change their lives because it's good to keep fit because you keep going. No, I think you were right in the first place. I can't imagine you no, I could, <laughs> suddenly taking true, up any sort of athletics at any point <laughs> in, the, in the near or distant future, you know, God willing, you get there. It was my least favourite thing, <laughs> athletics. Um, 100 metres, I was fine. Because I, I, I was quite skinny when I was a kid. I was quite skinny and I was quite fast over 100 metres. But distance-wise, forget mm. it. I was always a sprinter. And this is the thing that happened to me. My boys actually went to the same primary school that I went to. So I had the joy of going back there, I don't know, 30 years after I'd left the school as a parent. Um, to go back there again and of course that involves going to sports day right yeah so the first sports day when my eldest was so this is going back or i don't know 10 11 years something like that first sports day he did at the junior school we're back in the field where i had done all my kind of primary school athletics and done a lot of falling over because uh, all my friends will tell you my sense of balance is terrible uh, along comes the parents race the dad's race and they say right it's a hundred meter sprint along this exact same track that i would have run along when i was there as a pupil all those years ago and i fell over of course i did about 40 meters in i was going wait i hadn't run that fast for years my legs were going far too fast for my brain to comprehend and i basically left myself behind <laughs> fell over in a big heap i don't know 200 parents there uh, there's a kind of you know large uh, wave of laughter fair enough it must have looked pretty funny but the thing i remember most from that was the humiliation no it was picking myself up feeling slightly humiliated and that kind of burning sensation as uh, all the people laughed at me but then freddie my boy running towards me with a big smile on his face and leaping into my arms and saying, it's all right, Daddy, I still love you. Ah, this week's heartwarming story was brought to you by 
the humiliated man. <laughs> oh, well, that, now that's lovely. You've not run that fast for so long, and you have so much momentum that the top of your body is going faster mm. than the bottom of your body. Mm. And you uh, you just spill over, don't you? I, I've got a feeling it was the other way round in my case. The oh, right. oh, bottom of my body was <laughs> way ahead of the top of my body. <laughs> you were running like the roadrunner. Me, me. <laughs> Right, answers to today's pub quiz. Um, mm. Tour fiction, revisited. So first question, Nelson's last words were not as is popularly believed, kiss me hardy, but drink, drink, fan, fan, rub, rub. Yeah, now I'm pretty sure that is actually true. That his last words were... Drink, drink, said. fan, fan, <laughs> rub, rub. Yeah. Uh, you're right, it is a fact. He almost certainly did say kiss me hardy, although a lot of people seem to think it was kismet. Mm. Um, but uh, eyewitnesses uh, at uh, the demise of the great man do say that he said, kiss me, Hardy. He said, Hardy, kiss me. Mm. Twice. Uh, but those were not his last words. His last words were, drink, drink, fan, fan, rub, rub, and then he conked out. And then they pickled him in a barrel of brandy. Of course, yeah, I'd forgotten And that. brought him back. Sense. He was the, he was the great hero, uh, the great hero of uh, Britain's great naval hero. That's why they stuck him on the top of that column in Trafalgar mm. Square. The second question was the first of two questions about animals. The first animal to be sent into space was a monkey. Now I'm going to. My thinking here is, if it was a monkey. I'd like to think I would have heard about that. So I'm going to stick with my initial feeling, which is that it, well, it was it a dog there? It might have been a hamster or, you know, some little rodent. I don't think it was a monkey. Um, well, you're right, because that's mm. a fiction. Uh, but it wasn't a dog and it wasn't a rodent. It was something much smaller than that. Really? Fruit flies. Oh, really? Yeah, 1946. I mean, do they count, though? Yeah. Yeah, because they? Uh, yeah, of course they do. They, they are alive. They don't last very long, but they're alive. 1946, they were sent up in a V2 rocket to test the effects of exposure to radiation at high altitudes. Uh, moving swiftly on, most you're doing very well. That's two out of two. I know. It's all, all down to this one, and then I shall have to buy you a bull's testicle stout if you get it right. Uh, the third <laughs> one was to do with tigers. I said most tigers live in India, and you would say. Fact or fiction? Uh, fact. Fact. You know that's a fact, don't you? Because Is it a fact? That's where you find... No, it's not. It's fiction. Oh, fair. They, um, they estimate that... A fact sake. <laughs> there are as few as 3,200 tigers left in the wild, mostly found in isolated pockets... Spread across oh, increasingly that? fragmented forests stretching from oh. India to northeastern China. This is and, that terrifying fact that most of them live in the United States, right? Uh, well, yeah. The biggest population of tigers can now be found in the USA. Oh. 12,000, not in the wild, but in private hands. You were, See, you did know that. How you depressing that, is that? But, uh, but two, two out of three ain't bad, and I'll, I'll stand you a glass of Tizer. That's just about it for us. Until the next time, reservoir from us. Reservoir what? Toodle pim. That's time at the far end of the bar. 
You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or email us at thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Cheers! <laughs>